Welcome to HUDCO Radio. I'm Jim Kennelly. The Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation has a new director, former New York City Department of Corrections Bureau Chief Becky Scott. After 30 years on the job in New York, Director Scott comes to Hudson County with a wealth of experience and a unique perspective as an outsider, the first person to hold this post in three decades who did not come up through the ranks within the facility's walls. She took time from her demanding day to speak to us in her office. Director Scott, thank you for joining us. I thought we could start our conversation talking a little bit about what drew you to the work of corrections. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you ended up in this field? Sure. Thank you for having me. So, um, it's interesting. I don't have a really funny story or anything particularly interesting about how this came to be. It was uh, more word of mouth. So I had a really good friend who was at the time serving at NYPD. And he suggested that I take a a list of different civil service positions, and this one included. Didn't know much about it. Didn't know anyone in the business of correction or law enforcement outside of this one friend. I took the test, got called, and at the time, as a young, single person, I was open for the adventure. Let's talk a little bit about your work. You're a 30-year veteran of the New York City Department of Corrections. You had to have seen a lot. You have to have learned a lot in those many years. Talk a little bit about what that experience was like from start to finish working in New York City. So in the beginning, it's a range of different emotion and experience. It's a whole different world. It's a world that brings out the absolute worst in people. And it's also a world that, for some, is the most traumatic experiences of their lives. At the time, not having um, a full experience to shape how I process that and my existence in that community, I looked, I learned, and, and, and really paid attention to the work of a correction officer. You know, what is that? That's basically sitting around individuals day in and day out. It's not as interesting as the media portrays that role to be. You really you really are some social worker, some uh, listener. You, you, you're just a facilitator. You're, you're a mixture of everything in that role. I found it particularly interesting at the time, which we were talking about the early 90s, a lot going on socially at that time. And we were really in a height of a pro- a law and order type of existence in New York City at that time. Um, we weren't at where we are in terms of reform and that that whole position of the community now. So um, the, the jails were at capacity. The, the numbers were skyrocketing. We, we were faced with overcrowding, uh, you know, just a whole array of different challenges. At the time, I spent 13 years as an officer. I didn't imagine... A career at that time. I didn't see a path other than a correction officer, and I was quite content with that at the time. And it wasn't until I started to work with others and see other work that 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 happened, and how our role in, in law enforcement can support a community in, in what is or what could be one of the most traumatic experiences for them. And that's when I can say, towards my first promotion is when uh, a shift in my thinking 
started to happen where I started to look at this as not necessarily a job with a limited role. I started to look at it as a part of a community, a necessary part of the community. I understood that it's a thankless type of uh, position, but I understood why. Um, the work in and of itself is not, as a society, what we look to. But I, I read a quote, and it stood with me. And uh, please forgive me, I don't know the name of the person. But the quote says, you can judge a society by the condition of its jails. That resonated with me. Because how we treat individuals at what could be their most vulnerable time is really a statement on society. How we evolve throughout the years is also a statement on society. And to have been a part of this transformation which is occurring in the law enforcement community is transformative. And to be a part of that and to grow into more of a leadership position during that time of transformation has been particularly learning for me. And I'm proud to have had the impact that I've had during that, that transition and that transformation. While you were in New York City, what were some of the programs or services that you were involved with that perhaps you're most proud of or maybe ones that you think were um, maybe had significant impact? Um, can you talk maybe a little bit about that, especially as you kind of advanced into, into leadership? Sure. One of the first, and I can say it's really probably number one, two, and three on the list, Experiences I had, which I did not know I was going to feel this way, was when we introduced a canine program to young adults. At the time, we had individuals uh, 16 through 18 incarcerated on Rikers Island at that time. We partnered with an organization that... Um, allows individuals to help in training animals to um, assist the public in uh, emotional care, dogs, things of that nature. But the first level of training, they partnered with us to introduce this, pro this work to the population. So in essence, what that means is that we had dogs that were actually living in housing areas with incarcerated individuals. And I, I watched it in awe because, one, I never seen. I mean, this program had existed throughout the country in different forms, in different jurisdictions, prisons, throughout other places. I never witnessed it firsthand. And I never witnessed such an immediate effect of any programming, including educational programming, you name it. I never seen something that takes hold immediately. The individuals were so connected, so committed, and it changed their existence. And they felt a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that was the face of possibility for them. And that I do, I have meaning. I can contribute in some way. And to know that they can do it under those circumstances really will be would serve as motivation to whatever you want to do as the next step. It's interesting you mentioned that program because I was going to ask you, you have been part 
uh, anyone in your in in, the, in corrections has been part of a real revolution from the early '90s to today. Um, there are certain folks who still may say, you know, if someone commits a crime, jail should be tough and it should be punitive. But increasingly, it's been pretty evident to professionals and and all that, uh, that an approach that's built more about rehabilitating the person is more effective for the larger society. And then I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that as well, just broadly, how that kind of an approach, an approach focused more on rehabilitation and less on punishment, has benefits not just for the individual who experiences it, but for the larger society they return to. Absolutely. And also, we have to understand, nothing in the work that we do is not uh, with the responsibility that we have as a community to hold those accountable. Holding those individuals accountable works in a, in a host of different ways. And what the data says and the studies have shown, state, national, international studies, other um, places, I've visited a range of different facilities throughout the country. And what we know is that a pun- an exclusively punitive environment is not a humanitarian way to hold someone accountable. Deprivation, uh, isolation, confinement is counterproductive to rehabilitation. With that being said, we do understand that certain behavior, certain crimes, if you will, those individuals have to be held accountable. There's no getting around significant like crime that is in it of itself harmful to a community. In managing those individuals, that's where this complicated work that we do, in managing these individuals, do we want to create an environment where that mentality is perpetuated, that it's the hunted and the prey, the wolves and the lambs, or do we want an environment that's in line with how we want this person to exist in community. Because if this person is not going to return to the community, if this person is never going to be a part of society, this person still exists. This person still lives. And this person has to be uh, held accountable, but also uh, treated with a dignity and respect that has that's entitled to every single living being. It's interesting too that I think the program you described before is it the pause mm-hmm. program? Yes. One of the things I thought was interesting when I read a little bit about it was that by giving those individuals who are experiencing incarceration the opportunity to do something positive, to have a responsibility for another living thing, to do something that might make a difference in the community, by placing that on those individuals in a controlled environment made a bit, a very positive difference in how they moved forward having experienced that. Maybe they had never had that experience in their lives. We know, I mean, I think all of us know and will agree that having a pet changes lives. Having a pet has provided um, love in, in people where there was no one there with with them. So we, we know what the value of pets have in a society and that is the exact same result that we saw. We, we saw and to the point that 
when the when the animals were ready for adoption, staff members that worked there would say, "I, I want to adopt this this part, this pet." You know, they they didn't want the, the, the to lose the animal. Um, and we actually had to continue and bring in continue. All right, we finished this this per, this pet has completed the program. We need to get a so it's it's something that I see and it, and it works amazing. Um, and I think when we talk about uh, communities, the, the staff initially there was some pushback. Mm-hmm. I think we didn't we didn't know right. No one really knew where this was going to go, what it meant. Um, and I understood that. And in this role, part of what my job is, is to bridge that gap, to, to create that conversation, to get that buy-in from staff and the community and the population as, as a whole. And that's one of the part of my job that I love the best because I get to bridge those, those conversations and create an environment so that the, the staff is supported and respected, the population is supported and respected, and in a way that everyone can exist in this, like we have this uh, this little micro world, so to speak. Different dynamic because it's isolated from the public, where in the community you're in the public. So no one gets to see the work that we're talking about. No one gets to understand it the way that it exists, which is... It is what it is, in right. a sense that you you, you are create as you say you are creating something. But I, I think that's a great transition to talking a little bit about your decision to move from New York Corrections to head up Hudson County's much smaller, yeah. but still challenging uh, Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. So, kind of walk me through that thought process, and then we can talk a little bit about your vision for what you hope to do. So what attracted me to Jersey was I realized, although I had closed the book on my career in New York City, I realized I still have work in me. And I, I realized that this, this world of correction is in my, the fabric of my being. It's just what I've known most of my life. And in coming to Jersey, it's, it's, a, it's a really, although you're right, smaller, but uh, layered, uh, it's... Uh, it has an opportunity to have a direct fingerprint on the work that goes on firsthand and to see the work from every level throughout all the way. So, and, and that's uh, something that I enjoy because I get to see something grow from nothing plant and it's only been two months, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like, but I have so many ideas and so many things that we're working on that I get to really see it take hold. And 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 change the good work that's here. This is I was very happy about the 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 situation that I inherited. You know, the staff here are great. The leadership team is great. Um, working with the, the the administrator, the Hudson County administrator, and just having that that resource friendly support and this facility and the services and the programming here is so progressive really progressive in terms of treatment, reentry. I mean, to actually be able to facilitate a housing plan for someone who's being discharged, to set up an educational track for someone to continue their path, that's enormous. And I, and to be a part of that type of work at this level, to really get that going and be a part of those conversations and build that out is huge. And that's that's what attracted me to, because sometimes... Uh, a smaller, more concentrated workflow 
can be just as effective as a big operation that's doing tons, tons more volume, but the results are as meaningful and the work is is very, very progressive here. And I'm I'm happy to be a part of that. So I inherited a good a good situation. That's terrific. Uh, you know, the work of corrections, even though things have changed and there's much more of a focus on rehabilitation, I still imagine it's still tense work. Mm-hmm. It's still people uh, you're dealing with, like you said, who are kind of often in their wor- at their worst moment. Um, and just every day is just the tension of people being in a place they wouldn't be if they didn't have to. So how do you, when you are away from these, uh, when you're away from uh, the, the facility, how do you find a little bit of uh, peace? How do you find ways to relax uh, uh, personally? Well, it starts... It starts and then with me, with family. My family keeps me um, balanced. I take care of my mom. And when I come home, I'm just her baby girl. Um, I'm not this director or this chief or anything to do with anything. She just, uh, she just sees her baby girl. Born and raised in Mississippi and we've made it. She's super proud and that makes me very happy. And that keeps me very humble. Um, my, my family, my sons, my grandchildren. I'm surrounded by a world of a, a sisterhood of friends that love me and just keep me uh, in tune. They won't let me, you know, get so full of myself, so to speak. And more importantly, I, I travel. I try to see as much of other ways of life as I can to see how people live and what their challenges are and how how they maintain their happiness. And... Uh, I've been fortunate to be given those opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have my mom, you know, um, every day I just wake up and every day I know, you know, this may be that day, but until that day, I just, I'm so fortunate to provide the life that I do for my family. Becky Scott, director of the Hudson County Office of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can learn more about the Hudson County Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation on our county website, www.hcnj.us. To keep up to date on county government news and alerts, be sure to follow us on Twitter at HUDCOTweet and on Facebook at HUDCOFB. To see photos and videos of county government events, follow us on Instagram at HUDCOinsta and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hudco TV. And please take a moment to subscribe to Hudco Radio wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, thanks as always to Hudson County Executive Tom DeGeese and the Board of County Commissioners who develop, direct, and support all the programs and services discussed on this podcast. Take care.